in my life or in your life. As a Christian, he's got to be able to disrupt your view, your picture, your take, your knowledge of God. Everything stands or falls right there. That's what Paul is talking about right here. In other words, all of the temptations and all of the warfare that's coming at us is coming at us to disrupt, to harm, to overthrow what you know about God. That's where you'll see people often beginning to cave and slip in their spiritual life. There's one point in time where they knew God, like Daniel and his boys, his friends. What was it that enabled them to stand against Babylon and, and the rulers of their day with all of their paganism and secularism? They knew their God. What was it that was able to allow them to remain men of faith even though they were miles removed from their family, from their land, and from everything that taught them about their faith? How are you going to remain on that secular campus, on that university? How are you going to be sent off day in and day out to public schools, be around all sorts of people who hold to views and belief systems that stand in stark contrast to what you value and what you believe in and remain. The answer can be to just stay in church all seven days of the week. You've got to know something about God if you're going to make it, not just on a Sunday at an 11 a.m. hour, but all throughout the week. You see, spiritual warfare begins not with the devil. It begins with God is the point I'm trying to make. Spiritual warfare does not begin with me being preoccupied with which demon is it? What's its name? What does it do? What, what's its address? And we get all caught up in my, majoring on minors, stuff that the Bible doesn't even talk about in chapter and verse. It's all speculation. Show me. But the Bible talks a lot about God. It, it says get preoccupied with God. Get shut up with God. And as soon as you get all of God in you, now you can interact with everything that's going to stand in your way. And so Paul says here, to begin with, for though we walk in the flesh, he's being honest, we walk, we live in the flesh, I'm, I'm here, right? We, we live our lives here in this world, right? We got real jobs, we go to real schools, we got real addresses, we got to eat, we got to live like anybody else. But we don't wage war, he says. We're not waging war according to the flesh. What he's trying to point out is this. When you look at how people wage war in typical situations in real life, that's not our approach. Number one, we don't go after people. Our battle isn't against flesh and blood. We love people. We hate the devil and everything that he stands behind. We don't pick up guns and spears to go after the devil. Uh, th there's no mantra, there's no, there's no approach that I'm going to take physically that's going to take him down. There are some people, they may get an exercise out of it, but it's not really doing anything. He's just looking, one, like, it, that's not accomplishing anything. The way you bring the enemy down and his accusations and his approach and his schemes is not by airboxing. The way you bring him down is by what you believe about God. The weapons of our warfare, 
the war that we wage is not according to the flesh. We don't come at Satan the way that he comes at us. The way that we engage in spiritual warfare is by becoming increasingly like Christ, which is the exact opposite of the flesh. Satan wants to see flourish in my life all of the fruits of the flesh. You you name them. And the more that they are paramount in my life, pride, jealousy, rage, grudge, malice, lust, hatred, vitriol, the more these things are a part of my life, the more he's winning. And we think if we, if we come at him with the same things, it's just going against him that we're succeeding. That's not how you win. We don't wage war that more. We wage war through love, patience, kindness, grace, forgiveness, faith, hope, self-control, confidence in God. You see, when these things become part of God's people, believe it or not, you're engaging in spiritual warfare. You see, you're not beginning to engage in spiritual warfare as soon as you start using the term or or saying you're doing it. No, no, no. By simply being about what God wants you to be about and allowing Him to produce more of Christ in your life, guess what? You are, in effect, dealing blows to the evil one. Because the enemy doesn't love God. He hates God. And therefore, if I'm going to begin looking more and more like God, you could imagine how much that's going to turn him off. And Paul says here, that's the exact sort of wage, war, we're supposed to be waging. Verse 4, he says, For though the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, even though they're not of the flesh, we don't um, manipulate people. We don't get online and shatter and tarnish their character in front of the public. Some of us maybe maybe going into politics. Maybe we're going to go into the legal system and into law. We got there's a certain way that the Christian is going to occupy that space over against the non-Christian. And so even though we may be in the same realms, how we bring value to that area is going to be different. I know that that's how they're doing it. I know that's how they climb up the ranks. I know how that's how the world says you move forward, but not us. Paul says here, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. We don't serve God in the public sphere in the same way that the world does in their flesh. They may be able to get away with it, but God is a just, is a just judge. You see, what this means is, as Christians... We've got to make sure that more of Christ and his character is being formed inside each of our lives so that the flesh has less and less of a role in the kind of person that we're becoming and God and our knowledge of him begins to take more of a place. So Paul says here, for though the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power. You see, our warfare Our weapons have divine power. The flesh does not have divine power. And this kind of divine power does something. What does it do? It destroys strongholds. You know what a stronghold is? It's very interesting. Uh, During this particular time and all throughout history, strongholds were like fortresses, right? 
And so if you wanted to be able to wage a good warfare against your neighboring nations and you wanted to have a chance, you would make sure you don't just get out there and engage in battle. You got to make sure that you establish key fortresses, barracks, strongholds in ideal places. But you got to build them right too. You got to make sure that they're, they're not only around while you're there, they could be around even long after you die. In fact, you can travel and tour certain places in the world right now, this day, and see barracks, fortresses, strongholds still up after hundreds of years. Why? Because of the way that they built them. They're entrenched. And what that affords you is protection. Hmm? What that affords you is a defense mechanism. What that affords you is the ability not only to not die, have your life spared, but to be able to have a chance to shoot at the enemy. Why is this important? Well, Paul brings it up, and so it must be. The reason is Paul saw that and said, you know what? That's exactly what's going on in spiritual warfare. That's exactly what's going on in our struggle in the Christian life. How so? In this way. Paul is bringing up not for good reasons. This is our problem. It's not a good thing like in the case of war. What Paul is saying here is one of our challenges in ministering to one another and helping one another grow is we got strongholds. Yes, we came to church. Yes, we got Jesus. Yes, we said yes. Yes, we got baptized. But man, do we have things in our life that are still around and they don't seem to be easily prayed away. Nobody seems to be able to lay a hand on it and it just goes away. I thought if I just picked up that book, it would be gone. And it's still around. It's a stronghold. You see, when you first think of thoughts, they're just that, thoughts. You just bat them away. It's like, man, okay, that went in my head. But you bat it away. Why? You didn't give it a chance to settle. But then what ends up happening is we end up moving in with some thoughts. Some of us started at age 13, some at age 16, some at 20, some at 30. But you name it, we end up moving in with certain thoughts. And when we do, now they're more than thoughts. They begin to be thought patterns. Now they're more than thought patterns. They begin to be defining our identity and how we begin to view and see ourselves. And so now these thoughts end up having ownership over our lives. Much of the way that I see myself, I view myself, I make sense of myself, has everything to do with these thought patterns. To where now they're determining the course of my life and the sort of behaviors I engage in and the actions that I take. So what began as just a flying thought that I could have bat away ended up becoming a thought pattern to the point where now it, begin, it began settling to where it began shaping my behavior. It began shaping my actions and the way that I see myself. Now they're strongholds. They're entrenched. They're not going to be easily removed. They're there. And what does Paul say? That's exactly what we destroy. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy what? Strongholds. Strongholds. That's what we want to go after. Strongholds. Some of you had a, a kindergarten or a third grade teacher begin that path of saying stuff to you that you've never, even though you've just continued to move on, you've never been able to shake. 
Others of you perhaps have had parents that have said things that with all of their trying to turn back on what they've said, it just it got out the bag. It's not coming back in. Others of you joined a group and a clique to where you got caught up in stuff, even though you've removed yourself from it, the things that were learned at that time, the things that were encountered and discovered have gone with you as you've grown. Others of you have opened yourselves up to all sorts of things that have resulted in strongholds in this season of your life. And what God is trying to say to you today is, even though that may be the case, If you're a child of God, you do not have to be defined by your strongholds. The power that God supplies in his gospel is a power that destroys strongholds. In other words, God wants you to begin on this journey to start seeing yourself the way he always has. You don't have to any longer see yourself the way your thoughts demanded that you see you. It may have been that way all this time, but God says after today, that's got to change. His power is divine, which means this isn't something you get from some psychology class. This isn't some guru. This isn't some person. This is God himself, divine, destroying your strongholds. Some of you started out with less than ideal circumstances and situations. You're like, great, I didn't even get a good start, and now i got to catch up. God says here, I've got divine power that destroys strongholds. What kind of strongholds are these? Paul goes on in verse 5. Well, he says, we destroy, well, here's for starters, arguments. Huh? We destroy arguments. Okay, what else? Here's another thing. And every lofty opinion that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Arguments. Some of you got into a class, ninth grade or 11th grade, some of you in college, and you got that professor. Maybe his desire or her desire aim was, I want to do everything within my power to take that faith out of your life, to make you look like that was the most foolish decision you ever made. And by the time this semester is over, this curriculum is over, I will have destroyed the foundations of your faith and have you looking at yourself like, I don't even recognize myself. I don't even know what to believe anymore. You know how many kids are like that? You know how many parents I've sat with with high schoolers who had some teacher that had an agenda, not to teach the course, an agenda. You know, you know how many students have been shuttled off across the state, across the country to a university with a professor that's got a chip on their shoulder with an agenda. Not to teach a a generation so that they can offer something to the world. They came with an agenda. They occupied their tenure in their office for an agenda. And now you got a bunch of people, a generation, that's struggling. Why? Because of these arguments. Some of these arguments are atheism. That's an argument. Another argument is neo-Darwinism. It's secularism. There are other arguments that have to do with Just humanism and and this culture that we live in where it's all about now. Here's another argument, materialism. Here's another argument when we go to our social media platforms. Even though they may not come packaged in the way that our professors deliver them, they're still coming. 
There's a message that's being communicated. It's an argument or a lofty opinion. And, and many of us have been born with our devices. We live in that generation. Some of us had a chance to live a little before we started getting onto social media, <laughs> like, like me. <laughs> I wonder how I would have turned out. But I still felt the pull. And I could just imagine with an up-and-coming generation, you have just been born into a world where you've been inundated with how to think about yourself, how to view yourself. It's just been one argument and one lofty opinion after another. But it's not just that. It's raised against the knowledge of God. And so it doesn't matter how much that Sunday school teacher poured into you. It doesn't matter how much that community group, life group leader poured into you, that uncle, that grandma prayed for you, that pastor, that youth worker, whoever it was, was trying to teach you. For every good thing that they try to deposit in you, as soon as you hit campus or opened up your device, there was a million arguments and lofty opinions coming at you to do what? To rise above the knowledge of God so that whatever you thought, good happen on that Sunday was just taken away from you. You see, you got to be careful. You got to be careful. What you need to be doing as Christians, one of the ways you engage in spiritual warfare is by looking at all that's coming at you is an argument. It's a case being made. It's an opinion. And it's either encouraging and aiding your view of God or it's taken away from you. People often ask me, is it a sin to listen to secular music? Is it wrong to go to this place? Is it a sin to pick up this book? Is it wrong? I don't know if that's the right way to be asking that question, even engaging in that kind of a conversation. We need to first understand we live in a world where there's a lot of spiritual activity. You need to understand that you're a Christian and your responsibility is to live with a view toward God and to advance his kingdom, and to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And what you have to understand is the only place where truth is found is in God's word. Everywhere in this world, you are being sought after to be conformed to it, the Bible says. Be not conformed to the world, but rather be transformed through the renewing of your mind. See? But the only way you could be renewed in your mind is how? By growing in your knowledge of God. Because as you grow in your knowledge of God, as we all are growing in our knowledge of God, at that point, we're going to be able to know what is a threat to my relationship with God as a Christian and what's toxic and what will bring me down and cause me to start believing all sorts of wrong stuff and unhealthy stuff about God and what's fine. You see, it's not so much about should I do it or not. It's what is it going to do to how, what you know about your God? Are you capable of still seeing God, viewing God, picturing God, knowing God as you have been while you bring this stuff into your life? I know I've seen this. I've seen times where I've had seasons. We all have them, right, where I'll just bring stuff in. I think it's like I'll be fine. I'll bring something in maybe through Netflix or, or through Barnes & Noble, just going down aisles and just reading stuff. I'm, I mean, I'm a pastor. I'm a Christian. I'll be fine, right? I've been doing this for a while. I know the Bible. 
or online Google and you're just researching things and you're learning about people and then you're following, this leads to that and this leads to that. Before you know, it's like, how did I get here? And you're reading and you took in all sorts of stuff. And then you start going to the Bible or you just start going through your day or your week and you're like, gosh, it's not the same. When I used to sit down with the Word, it's like God it was, it felt like He was right here. All the truths about Him were so precious. Now I feel, I feel kind of polluted. I feel like, like I'm sick to my stomach. And I realized it had to do with the fact that I didn't check those areas of my life. We see this with podcasts, too. Sometimes I'll see, you know, I subscribe to, like, great, well-known cultural figures and very talented, but I don't want to mention because I don't want to encourage people, but, um, um, but I realized with all of their talent and their, um, the space that they occupy in the culture, the fact that they're not believers, too, it's like I could only take a certain amount of it. <laughs> it's like... I've, I've figured out how much I could get, and then I need a little break, and then I'll, I'll go back because I realize there's good stuff in there. You see, that's the thing. It's like I'm trying to, there's good things in there, but because they're not saved, oh, man, if you just take that, that, all that stuff in, hook, line, and sinker, you got to be careful. I think we got to be careful. This is a conversation we need to regularly have, church. Why? Because if you care enough about God, then you realize this ought to matter to you, you see? Because everything is saying something about your God. It would be like this. Imagine you're hanging out with your boys or, or you're at a, in your break room or you're in some space where it's optional, right? You brought yourself into that space. You could take yourself out. And people just start talking about your moms. All right, <laughs> come on. <laughs> I wish I had more. And they just start talking about your mom. I mean, the conversation went into different places. It was good, but all of a sudden, how, why, why do you have to bring my mom up, right? It's, they just started talking. How, how much of that, or your best friend, somebody where you told each other, I'll die for you, right, anytime, or your pastor. No, I'm just playing. Uh, let's just stick with your mom. I don't know where that would go. Um, how much of that would you take? Would you just be sitting there in that break room or on that floor in that department or in that gym or in that sauna or wherever you're at on that campus in the cafeteria and just let it continue? Or you'd be like, there's only so much of this I can take, right? In the same way, as Christians, we're married to God. And therefore, there should only be so much of that that we should be able to take. And so I think it says something about us as an American, quote-unquote, Christian culture. We're like the proverbial frog in the kettle, right? Where we've been put in this for a minute now. And the culture has kind of gradually turned up the heat in the kettle to where it's like we're just chilling. And we're not even noticing how hot it is. Whereas had we been out and protected ourselves and they turned it up, we got in, we'd be like, whoa. Oh, no, 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 no. We would, we would notice it instantaneously. But I think we've been cooked for a long time. And, and so it's like it's hard to get a perspective on our relationship to the world and how much we've taken in or not and whether we've gone too far or not. And I think, I think times like this where we just see the word and, and pray for each other and, and, 
have community and hold each other accountable is so necessary because we're not going to get this from out there. Nobody's going to care as much about you and where we desire to see your life eventually head than your brothers and sisters. And I think this is important. And as we're, we're bringing this time of ours to a close, I think this season, this weekend, this time with this, with this particular passage is a perfect opportunity for all of us, me included, to kind of step back a little bit. And maybe this isn't the kind of exercise we should do on our own. Maybe we should find somebody, somebody you, you, you study with who's a Christian, somebody you're in a life group with, somebody you, you're serving with in some capacity at the church, somebody you, you trust. You know, if you're a guy, find some guys. If you're a gal, some gals. And just say, hey, kind of speak into my life. Have you noticed anything? Maybe you've been a little hesitant to say anything, but I kind of need different perspectives, different angles on my life. Maybe if you're married, uh, use your spouse. Spouses, this is the good that you are to each other. And be like, man, am I, am I off? Uh, have, have I allowed myself to just cook away? Um, have I allowed people to just go on either through a blog, a podcast, a YouTube, uh, maybe in person, you name it. I mean, this, this, these arguments and lofty opinions come in all sorts of sizes and shapes and forms. But have I allowed them to just seep in, thinking, oh, you know, my Jesus, me and Jesus is right here. That's, that's always going to be good. And then I'll just, I got this other life here. Not realizing <laughs> if you're not careful and you're not controlling, I mean, even our country has customs, right? We got customs for a reason. We don't just let anything in. We got to check it out at the, at the border, at the port. That's what we got ports for. In the same way, you and your spiritual life, you need a port. We need to have official customs. Like, ho, ho, ho. <laughs> uh, we need to flag it and size it and check it out. See what's in there. Open it up. I need to make sure because why? If a container is that precious and important for people, how much more should you, an image bearer of God, redeemed by a Savior, be to yourself. You owe it to yourself is what I'm trying to say. Amen? So as we're closing here, I want to pray for you. And I, I, I want to I leave you with this thought. I, I don't want you to be discouraged. Because some of you probably didn't even wait till this service to conclude. And you're looking at your life like, man, I haven't had any way of, I just let in, I just, if it's on, I'll watch it. If it's there, I'll tune into it. If, if I'm around them, I'll take advantage of everything. I, I haven't really, I didn't really think that that could have an impact on my spiritual life. But now come to think of it, I'm seeing a connection. And I think today may be a day where you can begin to see strongholds destroyed. They begin by not just realizing it. You need to avail yourself to God's power. There's power. There's power in the Christian life. We don't live in and of our own strength. God supplies you. Where do you get it? By asking. <laughs> that, that's what prayer for. God, I need power. I don't have it. I am weak. I am frail. I will give in every time. I will say, yes, I know me. I know me. I don't need anybody to tell me. I need power. I need power to stand in my day and age. I need the power to stand when people's eyes are on me. I need power to stand when nobody's looking, especially when nobody's looking. 
I do fine in settings like this. My problem is when I get out of spaces like this, I forget. I forget everything. I lose sight of it. I don't have enough of a knowledge of you, God, that helps me stand when I'm out there. I need to know you. Some of you need to get back in the book. The only way I'm going to know anything about God is by getting in the book because that's where he reveals himself to me. That's where I'm going to know anything, not from you, not from me. Even if you get something from any one of us, it's because we got it from the book. (laughs) This is his word. He's given it to us. Jesus says, you shall know the truth, and the truth is going to what? Set you free. This is my disciple, the one who continues in my word. We need people who continue in his word. We're in it right now, but are you going to be in it this afternoon is the question. Are you going to be in it this evening? Are you going to be in it tomorrow morning when you wake up all throughout the week? Are you going to be in it? It's the one, Jesus said, John 8, 31, the one who continues in my word. That's what I need. I don't need a deliverer. I don't need a man who puts his hand on me. I don't need to fly to a certain location. What I need to do is arm myself with God's truth. I need to arm myself with a knowledge of God that I can actually take with me anywhere I find myself throughout my week. You see, some of us, we're waiting for the the guest speaker to fly in. We're waiting to get our ticket to go to a certain person. Some of us are waiting to stand in front of a certain TV to see somebody. Some of us are waiting for that time. That's pagan. That's not Christian. It's not Christian. We've smuggled it in, in the name of Christianity. We need to arm ourselves with God's word. We need to develop our relationship with God, cultivate our relationship with God so that we can stand in our day. Amen? Let's stand together if we could. I want to pray for you. I want us to pray together. I want us to pray together. So as I'm praying, I need you praying. We need power. This church pathway needs power, and I believe God is prepared to supply it. Father, we come before you desperate, desperate. We can't come full. The Bible says, blessed not are the rich in spirit, blessed are the poor in spirit. Do what you got to do, I pray. Lord, there are some strongholds in some people's lives. Some of us, it's because of things that have happened in our families, things that we've witnessed as children before our our parents. Others of us have been impacted. Maybe there's been abuse of physical or sexual or one kind or another. Others of us have been exposed too too early in our lives to, to media and content that has soiled our soul. So much so that it's with us till this day. Others of us just We're living with it right now, God, and that's not who we are. That's not who you want them to be. And I'm praying, Lord, they've tried. Many of us have tried everything to no avail. And so I'm praying right now, Lord God, that today would be a beginning of beginnings. That your people, that every one of us, Lord God, would begin to experience breakthrough, real deliverance, real freedom. The Bible says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. We got July 4th around the corner here, celebrating freedom, independence. But there's a real independence. There's an independence from sin and from death and from Satan. 
and from all of his wiles. Nobody needs to be leaving this place living with their strongholds. And I pray for that divine power to show up in Jesus' name and for you to lift your people from what their situation has presently been. May they taste it. May they see it. May they know it. May they experience the freedom as it's only found in Jesus Christ. God, I pray for a knowledge of you like never before to return to your church and to your people. God, we ask, help us to get back into your word. We want to see your your character and your ways all over again. Jeremiah, Father, said in the Bible, in Jeremiah chapter 9, we're told that we're not to be just boasting about anything. Jeremiah chapter 9 says something very beautiful. It says, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this. Here we go. That he understands and knows who? Me. Who's that? God. That he ha- Let him boast that he has a knowledge of God. That he has a knowledge of God. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. God delights when we grow in our knowledge of God. And not just grow in our knowledge of God, but when we start boasting in it. Flexing. That's what God delights in. And that's what I'm praying for. God, do this, we pray. We trust in you. We look to you because we know that you will never fail people. And so as we go out from this place, I pray that you do that. And now, may the love of our God and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all, both now and forever. Amen. Amen.